you want to be in his office? Sure. Yeah, we'll do your office. How you doing, sir? Mike Federaco. Mike, nice yeah. to meet you, Joey. Nice to meet you. Let me just use the restroom of water. Or I'm good, thank you. Coffee. Appreciate it. I'll be right back. I'll use my, this one? I got another one. Okay. Yeah, no, you could just stay winked up. I got four, so. Okay, leave it on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just leave it on. Uh, there, there's plans to do more of what we did on the third floor and other, other parts. Mm -hmm. so. I'm good, appreciate it, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to talk in here or the conference room? What's better? I he's, he got, he's got a lot of windows. And why don't you take a look? And see yeah, I mean, I mean, in your element, is cool with me if that's, you know, whatever. We're going to talk to Greg. It's going to sit here, but we can go in the conference room. If, oh, there's a small little conference room. Is this okay? No, this will be perfect. Okay. Yeah, we're good. I mean, uh, you can't if, be a Browns fan and not no. have, uh, not have uh, some serious I mean, toughness. You have to have... Have to have a very forgetful memory with the Browns. But. I'm actually a season ticket holder. That's how stupid I am. Oh man! When I came back, I said, you know, I was, when I grew up, of course, I didn't have any money, so I, you know, I never could go to games and stuff. And when I came back, I said, I can actually afford to go, so I'm going to buy tickets. Oh, and 16, I was there. You went to every game? No. Oh. Nice. But I gave away my tickets, which wasn't all that hard. Yeah, I heard they couldn't even. They were. Like selling for like five bucks or something last year. Yeah, it was really pathetic, particularly towards the back half of the season. Yeah. When you see the stadium half empty, it's awful. But we have our Super Bowl next Thursday. Yes, yeah, right? Draft. Uh, that's our Super Bowl. I've, uh, I've definitely let the, the Browns sit on the back burner, try to focus on Cavs and the Indians. Cavs and the Indians. Well, I, when I actually, I had just gotten back to, to Ohio and they, they won the championship, and I actually drove to Cleveland just to Were be for in Cleveland. For, no, I drove up there for game seven. Oh, okay. And I watched it at a bar right across from, uh, right across from the arena, and one of our agents is a former Browns player, and he insured that bar, so he got me like a little private table there. Nice. I mean, it didn't really matter because there were so many people yeah. there, but at least we had a place to sit. And uh, so, yeah, I was there for that. Then you were back. Uh, you, were you in here for meeting at 8 o'clock that? Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> I had to come back. But it was, uh, oh man, that was unbelievable. Because I was alive in 1964 when they last won a championship. So. Check, check, check. Yeah. Um. Matter of fact, a friend of mine, it's a true story, he was weeping. I shed a few tears myself, but he was weeping after the Cavs win. And uh, his wife looks at him, she goes, honey. I get the emotion, it's been a long time, but you know, we had three kids yeah. and, and you didn't cry when any of them were born. Yeah. He said, uh, you weren't pregnant for 52 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the great lines of all time. So. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I grew You're up- You're young too. Well, I grew up in a pretty fortunate time of the 90s. The Indians were- Very good. Know, like the, I was like, you know, heyday baseball. Yeah. Like I was you know, elementary school, so I was a little spoiled and then, then they kind of got bad again. Yeah. yeah, I remember. The, I remember going to the old stadium in '92, you know, '91, and just banging on the seats and the bleachers and stuff. But. I remember. In, uh, uh, I, I, I prayed once and I said, "Lord, just let me see the Indians in the World Series." And one letter. Yeah. One wrong letter. I said, "In the World Series, not yeah. in the World Series." Uh, so we went for '95 and '97. Came, flew back from the West Coast just to be there. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you what your favorite um, Indians memory was. There's so many. I mean, my true favorite is way, way before your time is that uh, I was a big Rocky Calavito. So this was in the 60s when they weren't very good. Right. But what got me hooked was, was Rocky Calavito was their 
may not even know his name. Uh, he was their star player. Right, come on, man. I, I, I mean, just want to make right, sure on, you're, you're a punk. I mean, you're so young. Uh, and uh, so, you know, he came over. I dropped my hat in the, on the right field. Actually, my dad took it and threw it down there. So the oh, rock really? would come over and he wow. handed it back to me. And so I immediately fell in love with yeah. the Indians. And, yeah. Um, but the, there's so many great memories. Uh, uh, seeing him get to that first World Series in 95 was probably the biggest one, though. Yeah. So let's let's talk about something less fun or more fun, depending on your. It's got to be insurance. Well, yeah. So I don't know that I, I mean I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know how many people know the answer to this question, but why insurance? Um, got a job, you know, graduated Ohio State or the yeah. Ohio State University, and uh, needed to work. Didn't have any money, and uh, Progressive was hiring. Got a job as a I was a unit supervisor, which is an entry level job. $10,500 a year, and I worked 1 to 9.30 and supervised a part-time team of mobile home underwriters in Cleveland, Ohio. What year was this? 19, October 1978. Okay. And the team that worked for me were four part-timers who came in at 5 o'clock. I was just 21, and uh, I think most of them were 19, 20, 21 <laughs> years old. So. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Interesting. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is it feels like you kind of were sliding out of the industry a little bit. I mean, you kind of, I mean, like it was still insurance based, but you were just kind of a different focus. What brought you back, I guess? Like, what was yeah. the thing that kind of said, hey, let's maybe go do this? Was it, I mean, coming home to Ohio, was that appealing? Or? Yeah, I mean, the, the startup uh, was a lot of fun, and I had indeed decided I had enough of corporate insurance or corporate America. And doing a startup was a blast. Yeah. And so uh, after that ended, uh, I was going to move between somewhere between retirement and just doing another startup. Yeah. Uh, and I had spoken to the, the board here about this job uh, in 06. And so, and at that time, I wasn't ready to, to take the job. So I stayed at Safeco. And so the recruiter knew that and called me up and said, hey, you're not going to believe this, but they're looking for a CEO again. Yeah. And if it had been in Des Moines, Iowa, would I have talked, taken it? No. Yeah. The, the appeal of coming home is what got me to uh, consider it. And then once we sat down and started talking about the way I saw what had to happen in this industry and how I thought a company of this size was uniquely positioned to prepare for what's coming to the industry, and I give the board a ton of credit because they were very receptive to my ideas, and here we are. Yeah. So it seems like, I don't, I mean, I'm obviously not in the basement seeing what's going on day to day, but it seems like things have, uh, we just talked to a few people kind of walking around, uh, it seems like things have turned around pretty quickly, just attitude, just direction, mm -hmm. overall, just kind of company. What was the one unexpected thing during the last kind of three years that, you just necessarily didn't think was it was going to happen or weren't prepared for or just like what, what's that been like oh god if if there was only one it would be an easy question to answer yeah. there there were a million um, i think the depths of the technology uh, weakness was was it was worse than i had thought it would be in other words when we started thinking about what needed to be done here um, i knew that technology was going to be at the top of the list but i think you know, when you go out and you start looking at underwriters working off of green screens, you know, in, in 2015, you realize that the amount of work that's ahead of you is probably 
uh, broader and deeper than you thought. Um, and then it was a it was a workforce that had gone through a number of years of you know poor results, uh, you know bad uh, combined ratios as well as losing customers and and I think there was uh, there was you know just kind of that feeling that you know are we ever going to win and that was uh, something that I, I hadn't expected. What uh, so did you try to like? try to get a win early like quick like was there something that you said like I need to do this like right away to kind of no there was there was no hope for like a quick win and, and 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 I think when you try for something like that you you maybe make the wrong longer term decision having said that there is you know some things that we did up front which is um, you know there were there are a couple issues that you knew coming in one we were coming off of some really poor performance so incremental change wasn't going to get us there that yeah. that just wasn't going to happen the second thing that was we were facing is that uh, this leadership team believes in the change that's coming you know due to technology uh, pick your buzzword big data artificial intelligence IOT digital this whole this whole tsunami of change was coming so we knew we had to do something dramatic and at the core of what we needed to do was the culture of the organization. So it might it, it might have been, I guess, in answer to your question, it might have been a quick win, at least from the standpoint that we knew that the culture we had inherited, which was kind of a traditional Midwest regional mutual type company, paternalistic kind of top-down management, compartmentalized decisions, that wasn't going to work. So we immediately uh, came in and started saying. This, the culture that we need has some component parts, radical transparency, uh, a culture of openness and candor, a culture of empowerment where people are encouraged to make decisions, a culture that if they make that decision and it's a mistake, that's okay, just fail forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, this idea where we can't afford to waste a single voice, where everybody needs to be part of the process, and we kept talking about it. So we did do some things that some people may have considered quick wins. We, we did some things to demonstrate that culture in ways they could touch and feel. You know, we eliminated a dress code. Um, never thought that made any sense anyway. Uh, felt, we, felt pretty casual coming in. Yeah, we uh, you come in the summer when they see the yeah. shorts. Uh, our CFO rocks his shorts, nice. I gotta say. Um, you know, we eliminated performance evaluations. You know, these were silly things that never made sense in the first place and so Getting rid of those things, uh, you know, an annual look back at somebody's performance is, is a is a you know a, a process that doesn't work, and so we yeah. implicated that with a coaching culture. A lot of the space we we are still a fiber wall company, but we're trying to tear those down, create more open collaborative space. These are things that don't necessarily change the outcome of the company immediately. But it shows people that when you talk about culture, and I talk about it every single meeting for almost three years now, and you talk about the type of culture that we want to create, um, I think people start, when if they can touch it and feel it and see it as well as hear about it in the words, and we followed it up with some changes to compensation plans and, and job grades and trying to eliminate a lot of the um, like rules and guidelines that are usually set in place uh, that just add burden to the company and try to make it a more open environment without all that heaviness on top of it. It's got to be, I mean, just from, I would imagine, coming from the top down, like, because, you know, there's people that want to change the culture that aren't necessarily in the position to change it. Yeah. They kind of feel frustrated by that. So how, 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 how easy is it, not easy is not the right word, but refreshing has it been, you know, being able to just kind of just dump the bucket over the entire company? 
Well, it, the, the, the benefit, I, I always say to the associates that, um, you know, the best revolutions start from the ground up, and that's what I encourage them to do, to think yeah. that way. But you're right. I mean, the, the one benefit I have is to be kind of that voice that says, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do this all the time, and we won't be perfect at it, and, and it won't work all the time. And there'll be times where I'll say the culture should be like this, and you're going to have an experience that doesn't support that. And we're, it's a journey, right? We're going to get better and better and better at it. So it felt great in answer yeah. to your question. And, and you do things like when you have an all-associate meeting, you know, I encourage them to ask any question, no questions yeah. off limits. Like, matter of fact, I say to them, if someone told you on the way to the meeting, don't ask that question, <laughs> ask that question. Ask that question. Yeah. And we let them text in questions anonymously so they don't, you know, because you're still trying to get over a kind of a fear factor yeah. that exists in companies. So talk to me about, like, and that's, uh, you probably miss out on so many good ideas because of that fear, right? Yeah. There's people that are, don't have any confidence in that idea. They don't right. have any confidence in themselves. Like, have you found anything to, like, kind of help that along? Like, I mean, because even though you say it, like, having somebody do it is, like, an yeah. entirely different thing. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways that are really important. One is what I just said, which is, even though, you know, in a culture where you're advocating for radical transparency, you know, that should mean that you should be able to disagree with me or speak up. So one of the things you have to do is allow for anonymity to some degree. So when I say in meetings, if you have an idea or question or you want to say something to me, you can anonymously text it. That, yeah. that starts to build some of that. It actually builds the trust because when they see me take the question and whatever the next question is, I take. Uh, so. Uh, I think that starts to show them that it is okay to speak up. And maybe they're not assigning their name to it, which means you're not quite there yet. But again, it's a process. Uh, second thing is we also added an Ask Mike feature where they can send in questions at any time or comments. And, and I think that, again, has is just another uh, example uh, of that process and of moving forward. Uh, and I think those types of things start to encourage people. Perhaps the most important, though, is when they see a colleague either make a decision or, or make a suggestion that we implement, or in some cases make a decision where they took a risk and failed, and over here they didn't get the crap beat out of them, yeah. and over here it got implemented. I think, right. I think some of that is just time, right, and, and so that they can kind of see that, obviously, you know, uh, the door's always open and, and I roam around the building and other senior leaders do and try to get out to our field offices. I think that's important too is that you're, you're making a personal connection with your team so that they can realize that there's accessibility to them uh, at all levels of the organization. If you had to just make a like, we probably don't pay enough attention to culture and insurance statement, like what would we maybe do to kind of like recalibrate that sort of like, hey let's just be a cool bunch of people together. <laughs> well, we got a lot of work to do in that space because I think we don't. I, I think culture, uh, the industry is steeped in a lot of tradition, much of which is super and positive, and there's some good pieces to that. Yeah. But you know, I think culture uh, is something that has to change because it's one of the problems we've had in recruiting A-level talent into this industry and, and younger generations of people is that there's not necessarily a feel that yeah. this industry is particularly attractive and. To me, a lot of that begins with the culture. So, you know, I think it's really, really important across our industry for people in leadership positions to start thinking about, you know, 
being more open, being more candid, being more transparent, uh, allowing for disagreement, allowing for you know kind of a very open communication. Uh, being, and again, I, I'm sure there's a lot of companies that are doing better than we're doing and are doing all these things. So I, I want to suggest that we're doing yeah, this and nobody else. Just take it all. Just, no, just take not, it all. Not, not even close. But I think as an industry, uh, we have earned a reputation as being too tradition-based and, and too conservative. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think that has to change. And, and to tell you the truth, if it, if it doesn't change, it's why we have so many outsiders who are trying to come into our space and are attacking us in some way as a result of that. And I, and I think we're vulnerable in that way. So, you know, you hope, uh, you hope that uh, companies are kind of becoming a little bit more aware of, of the change that's coming uh, and, and they're going to react. But I think the things I suggested in terms of interacting with associates is, is really critical to that. I mean, at least give them a pizza party or something, right? Something. Just something. I mean, just throw them something. Um, well, so so kind of leading into, like you said, like let, allowing people to kind of creep in mm -hmm. and force us to have this discussion of disruption and all that, you know. What, what, going back to the, uh, you know, kind of the brief kind of three-year turnaround, like how, how would you kind of take that, you know, kind of experience and kind of deploy it out to like, the industry at large as mm -hmm. far as like some of the things that you've learned and how can we kind of help it be pushed out through through all yeah. different channels yeah well again I, I think one of the challenges is that uh, to change the way we've changed one you have to make a whole lot of hard decisions which seems like a simple thing to say but doing it's not so easy second you gotta you gotta really believe in the change that's coming and I'm not sure everybody really does yet I think those two core foundational issues have to be in place our leadership change our leadership team believes a transformational change is coming to the industry both from the things I mentioned in terms of technology and data digital and all that stuff but also in a changing consumer base who who are going to demand things be done differently than they've been done before. And three, because of external uh, folks that are coming into our space and are forcing change upon us with innovation and with change and, and some companies that are basically bad-mouthing us as a result of their entry. So I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. I have yeah, no idea you, who you're talking about. Yeah, give me time. Yeah. You, you put all that together and, and you've got a scenario where you've got to make some calls. For example, what we did, and this may not work for everybody, but you know, we see digital as, you know, saying that we're going digital at State Auto in 2018. To say, to say you're going digital in 2018 is not a bold statement. To say you're going digital as your only way of doing business as a PNC company is yeah. very, very bold. And so, you know, we looked at our future and, and our past and, and what we wanted to accomplish. And, and so, but that's what I mean by kind of really saying the change is coming and we're going to embrace it and we're going to make the hard decisions to, to get there. Yeah. Uh, do you think that, and I think well, we might disagree on something in a minute. We'll get to that. Okay. I'm curious to hear That's your fair. thoughts. Um, but um, how has that, you brought it up, how has that transition been on the digital side of things? Because of, I, I heard, you know, I'm, I'm in agencies talking yeah. to agents, and it's like, oh my God, it's like state auto, it's like it's only digital. It's like, well, I mean, like, yeah, right? Like that. I mean, you know, it feel, feels obvious that you were, you know, kind of age shaming me a little bit earlier, Mike, but um, <laughs> uh, it feels obvious to me. But yeah, I mean, like, that's where everybody should be mm -hmm. kind of pushing to be, right? I, I think so. And, and you know, the, the thing that's interesting for us is that, 
you know, when we first made the decision to do this in, in 15 and then kind of rolled out in 16, you know, there was a lot of folks who were saying, well, agents aren't going to embrace it and, and there's no way they're going to say, you know, because our digital means no paper, no postage, no cash, no yeah. checks. You e-sign and you give us your credit card or you give us your your checking account and uh, agents are going to balk on that and, and not embrace it. A handful did, a small yeah. minority did, but I think that if you're a company looking to the future, and this is a challenge, it's, it's a real challenge I think for, for small regionals and mutuals particularly, because if you don't embrace some level of change, whether it's going digital completely or having a digital alternative or thinking differently about your, both your technology uh, and your products, I think they're dead men walking, and I think that's a challenge uh, because over time, nothing, nobody will die fast because it's still the insurance industry after all, but, but the ability to stay relevant in the marketplace with uh, this amount of transformational change, I think if you don't make some movement to embrace things that your consumers are going to be demanding and also that the marketplace is going to reward because you're going to be more efficient, I think is going to create a problem. Is it a bad thing if they die off though? I mean, I mean, no, because we have too many companies yeah. and it's an inefficient market. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, it's a bad thing if we die because we don't want to die. Sure, but uh, you know, I think that uh, I think that this next change will create. Uh, there'll be winners and losers, and whether those losers uh, fade off into the into the night or just become less relevant and, and smaller, yeah. uh, I, I don't know which will happen. But I think from a consumer standpoint the more efficient we become as an industry and the more we react to the evolving change is going to be a benefit to the consumer and to the agents as well. I want to do something a little fun. I asked some a, a very special group of agents on Twitter this morning. Nice. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, by the way. I'm, I think I do, maybe. Okay, Are you, so we have this, we have, the, uh, there's, a, there's a group of agents across the country uh, called the 5 a.m. Club Insurance. Okay. So it's like a bunch of agents that are up at five, doing their thing, whatever it is, you know, doing the insurance stuff. And I said, I didn't tell them who I was meeting with today, but I said, I'm meeting with an insurance company CEO. I said, what questions yep. would you want to ask? Or Good. What questions, questions would you want to have answered? So I'm just going to roll through them. If, yep. you're, if you're game, I'm going to reset I'm this. definitely game. But uh, this first one, I'm going to, um, I'll make it a little more palpable. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Just let it rip. You, you might know who, I'm going to credit these people too, because um, you might know Seth Zaremba, uh, Zinc Insurance maybe, up in, I think so. right yeah. down 71 there. Yep. Um, basically, he would like to know, when you actually do bow out of the insurance game, will you have advanced technology enough to be able to sleep at night? Yes. Uh, I think that... Uh, not because of me, but because of the team here. I think what the State Auto team has done here, uh, I can say that with a lot of conviction, because I believe we're already well down that path. So, yes. And my buddy Jared Bellman at Carolina Living Insurance in Hendersonville, North Carolina, would like to know, how do you think we should collectively define success? Uh, second part, what steps are you taking uh, no, never mind. We'll do that one first. What, what we, do you, how do you think mean, we should collectively define success? Agents? Um, I think agents, industry, just yeah. in general. Like yeah. how well, I think I think the from an industry perspective, if we can, again, uh, uh, embrace the change, uh, think differently about the way we we offer our products, both the products themselves and the way they're offered to consumers to meet their expectations. I think uh, historically the industry has said. Here's our, biz, here's our products, 
and here's how we're going to distribute them, take it or leave it. And I think that you're starting to see now through all the different ways that consumers are interacting with their companies that we have a better way to do that. And I think if we embrace the change that's coming and become a more efficient industry and meet their expectations, I think products will change. I think you're seeing that through sensor-based products as an example, really starting to meet consumers' needs and we're delivering them differently, meeting consumers' needs. I think that will be a really good sign of success. From an agent's perspective, I think agents have as much opportunity now as they've ever had. But I think they very critically have to really understand uh, how they commit to, you know, commit to technology themselves. And I think their ability to do that uh, would suggest to me that they'll be successful if they can continue to grow through this change in personal lines and in commercial lines. There are some companies, one fairly large one, that has sent a kind of a clear message that you know maybe agents should be focused solely on commercial lines. I completely disagree with that. I think there's a huge amount of personal lines opportunity for agents, and uh, I think if agents embrace that technology, when they they'll be measured by their success, by their ability to continue to grow through this transformation. Um, and I might have to get back to the personal lines thing, but I'll come back to it. Um, my buddy Brent Kelly wants to know, what's the one thing independent agencies should be doing today to position themselves better for the future? Uh, they have to have a better web, a better digital presence themselves than they do today. So uh, obviously the, the foundational things, obviously having a website and, and having an interactive, effective website, understanding search engine optimization, going out and trying to attract people to come to their agency, through digital presence is absolutely positively essential. And if they do that really well, if they understand SEO, if they can drive customers to them through good search work, I think that is absolutely positively essential to their ongoing success. And they have to understand that the relationship still matters, nothing's different. It's just the customers may want a different type of interaction. They may want a different type of relationship. So I, I think the agents that win will understand that and be really good at it. Yeah, so I'm gonna follow up. Uh, my question is, I think the challenge that, and this is where, going back to that first question, that we find is that when we do sort of achieve that scale, we, hit, we run into new problems of, yep. you know, it's, hey, how do we handle all these people? And, oh, they're from all over the country sometimes, and do we get licensed? You know, so it's like, it's like this, it's this ever-evolving thing of like once they get good at one thing, then they kind of have this whole domino effect of... Well, I think a couple things. One, uh, I, I think it's better off if they focus where they're at, obviously. Yeah. I think I think that's important is, is first making sure you make that right step. And then you have to find what, what the companies have to do is step in here. And this is where State Auto is, is testing in West Virginia with an agent down there. And we hope to roll this out further, which is the ability to white label our site. Because what happens is if you're able through YouTube or blogging or texting or whatever you're doing, just regular search engine optimization, drive someone to your site at nine o'clock at night and they go to joeyinsurance.com yeah. and they, they click on, right now what happens is if it's nine o'clock at night, most likely in most agents' cases, you're gonna come back and interact with them the next day. And what State Auto is gonna offer agents is a 
white labeling opportunities. So if that person comes on at nine and they say, I need insurance for my florist shop, yeah. you can have a quote button. It, they, they'd come into State Auto, but it would obviously be white labeled for Joey Insurance. And if they like it, they can purchase, or if you just wanna, and it's completely to the agent's discretion, just wanna give them the quote and say, we'll follow up with you tomorrow, that's fine as well, if you wanna give them three more offers, as an example. Now, uh, I listened to the interview you did with Ryan Hanley back in September, and you mentioned something similar to that. And you brought it up, I'm gonna go there now. Uh, <laughs> so I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta get on this. So, and Ryan asked you this too, it's like, well, you know, the problem, and you'd actually, I think you brought it up yourself, you'd said, well, that eliminates the, the choice. And yep. at the time you were kind of optimistic that, hey, maybe, maybe one or two other choices make their way there. Yeah. Um, what it is a company state out of size and whoever else might be willing to kind of put their ego aside and, and show up next to you there um, is, is that something that you think is legitimately possible I, you know it's knowing insurance companies as well as I do and being as old as I am uh, you know we we've been ridiculously bad at not yeah. recognizing opportunities because we've got that kind of self-preservation thing or you know my stuff's better than, yeah. than your stuff type attitude so i i think having said that i think that um the technology that's coming and the changes that are coming could create the opportunity for us through either a third party or through you know sharing our platform as an example yeah or even somebody else's at that point, giving multiple offers. I'm not, dis I'm not discounting the possibility, because again, small carriers, if they don't think about yeah. change, are gonna not have the opportunities that they want. Well, I mean, because let's be honest, if you're 30% you know, higher than the next guy, like, they're not gonna buy it anyways, even if you're the only option there, right. all you're doing is just make it harder for them. Right, and, so, and the reality is it's a very inefficient industry, yeah. pricing-wise, and so if you get your, if, if nothing else but you get your fair share, yeah. that should be enough for everybody. I mean, you guys know who you want, and you're gonna yeah. price it accordingly to make yeah. sure you get that. And if people. we don't get it, we don't get it. Well, so the one example, I, I might, I'm gonna date myself here, I'm, you know, people tend to roll my eyes, but video games. Uh, if you're familiar with, uh, the, there's a video game company by the name of Valve, and um, you know, they just made video games forever, but they actually were the first, one of the first ones to develop an online distribution platform okay. called Steam, and they became basically the, the standard now for how you buy games on a PC. Yeah and everyone's playing catch-up. I mean, EA, you know, released their own thing. But I mean, basically, it was just a video game developer, yep. insurance company, yep. you know, that just decided we're gonna build this thing ourselves, and then everybody just started using it. Yeah, and I, I think whether it's a platform like ours, which I think has the, the capability of doing something like that, or like I say, if a third party came out and said, you know, for agents, you know, if you four companies are willing to do this and, and we can figure out a white labeling opportunity that allows yeah. them to get into your system. I mean, it's nothing that can't be done. It's just a question of can you make it work? And yeah. do you have the commitment to independent agents to make it work? That That's really the biggest issue because most companies yeah. write every channel. And so their logic would be, why would I support the agents in that way when I can when I can just write the customer directly? And I think it's going to take more, particularly some of the regional carriers, kind of uniting on this that don't as often write direct. But wouldn't Geico's ridiculous retention rates kind of support the fact that that might not be the easiest way to do it? 
Or what do you mean they're ridiculous retention rates? As in like it's like 40 or 50 percent retention no, rate? No, it's not. Is it not? No. no. Is, that, is that a nice, no. that I that's, got wrong? That's, that's, that's a... Is it higher? A, it's much higher. I mean, their auto, their auto, re, their personal auto retention rates, they have preferred standard and non-standard. So the non-standard. Their preferred auto retention rates are probably high 80s, maybe even low 90s. So I think so it's a real right. misnomer, people think. It, it's probably a little less now because they're writing so much new business. Yeah. That policies retain higher at... Lower at one, two, three. They keep going up sure. to about five plus, but their five plus retention is really, really high, and uh, so it may be lower again because they're putting so much new business in there. Maybe may in the mid eighty. I don't know what it is, by the way, but I guarantee it's at minimally starts with an eight. Okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get off of my inaccurate stats, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to go back to my Twitter questions. Yeah. Um, Brent had one more follow up. He wants to know what's the one common attribute you see from your top performing agencies. Oh, gosh, just one is hard. Uh, I think that uh, for the top performing agencies, it's all about customer focus. Uh, the best agents that I have seen and, and that we interact with really understand that uh, the sales piece is just the beginning of that relationship and, and they build a, a fairly deep relationship with the, with the policyholders and their customers. I think, I think that's uh, first. Uh, second, uh, then it, it goes to, uh, you know, kind of the service side, just making sure everything. And, and uh, some of the best agents don't wait for a service issue to rise up. They, they are reaching out on a regular basis to make sure things are progressing the way they should. So that kind of service focus, which really is kind of the ongoing customer relationship piece of it. Uh, and then a third one is always something like integrity. I mean, the, the best agents just, they just do the right thing. Uh, and I think those three component parts are probably the, the three most important ones. Yeah. Um, nobody, Landon Bentham wants to know, what is your five to 10 year vision of your partnership with independent agents? What do you hope you're, you will be able to do in turn with the response you get from those agents? I think that, you know, we're first and foremost, State Auto is fully committed in the space. And so I think our five to 10 year vision is that when we said we're going fully digital, the thing that we kept saying, I kept saying to agents was, and we want you to come with us. So our five to 10 year vision is to realize some of the things we just talked about, which is that our agent partners are as good at the digital space as they can possibly be, and they win their fair share. I keep saying to agents, this is what, well, coming back to the personal insurance thing as an example, yeah. there are some agents that actually feel that way, that they think, well, you know, because of direct response, because of the, all the dot-coms out there, that maybe we should start focusing more on commercial lines. And I think that's a, a classic mistake. So I look out five to 10 years, and the folks that are going to geico.com or travelers.com or, or Hartford through AARP or, or progressive.com, they're not necessarily going there because of those companies. They're going there because that's a way they want to transact business. And if an agent's really good at it, and they are also a local agent, so they get the benefit of getting business digitally, the customer does, they get the benefit of a local agent for as they grow as customers or as, you know, they get the security right. blanket, they get that professional advice, and they're dealing with somebody locally, but they still get to interact at a digital level I think in five to ten eight years, if agents are effectively in that space and they're effectively winning enough business for themselves in these personal lines, which they will, that to me would be a, that would be a successful five to ten year view of agents. Geico spends a billion and a half dollars. Of course, they're going to get business. Don't yeah. don't 
don't get your panties in a twist about Geico. It's just they are who they are, right? Yeah. And progressive and all state and encompass and all this stuff. Focus on your ability to get your customers locally, you know. And uh, I think the other thing is that they get really good at, uh, uh, at, at getting customers in a different way, you know. Yellow pages aren't going to work, and you know, uh, billboards probably, and, and signs on the bus stop. We got a billboard right over there that's advertising for somebody. We should get that billboard, Mike. It's put a sign. <laughs> I saw that. Did you see that? I, yeah, I, I saw that. Your name here, type yeah, thing. Uh, Me and you. Yeah, we'll, we'll Joey just, and yeah, Mike. Joey, Mike's billboard. Uh, call us. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the there there's ways to make sure everything's got your .com on it. If you're sponsoring a little league team, it's got the .com. Still go to the meetings, still go to the Rotary Clubs, still go to your, your local junior colleges and your churches, but make sure that people know that they can access you in ways they want to access you. And by the way, some of it will still be personal touch. I mean, that's one thing about all this change that's coming. No one is suggesting that the, that the sky is falling and that yeah. personal relationships aren't going to still matter and personal interaction isn't going to still be an issue. All of that is true. We're just trying to prepare them for the other part of the business that they haven't been as successful with. That would be a good five to ten year look. Um, next one is from my friend Jeff Roy up in Canada, Excalibur Insurance. Okay. And he wants to know, what is your biggest challenge, but how can AI help with it? Are you building API for agents so they can create a great customer experience? Are you building any new connected home or UBI products? Uh, I guess we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, that's a good question, eh? Well, he's, he's, he's building his own uh, I voice. I just threw the... Yeah, yes, yeah, I yes, don't know if you caught course, that because yes. you're young. So. Uh, uh, but the, the connected stuff is something we're super committed to. We've got this or part of our organization is called State Auto Labs, and, yeah. and we're looking at the stuff, and the answer is yes. I mean, first and foremost, uh, when we launched our new digital platform, we also launched new pr products, including telematics, which is obviously a sensor-based product, and we thought our take-up would be 15 to maybe 20%. It's over 30% of our customers are choosing telematics. He talks about things like uh, smart home technology, and we've just signed an agreement partnership with a company called Roost, which has integrated uh, smart batteries, which integrates the, the, the home uh, information, as well as providing water detection devices. And so we're going to be offering smart home discounts uh, for people that embrace that type of technology. Can I ask this real quick? Yep. I'm a big smart home guy. Yeah. Um, I, I like my smart home devices. Um, is it cost prohibitive for an insurance company to just and have some type of like starter kit, like say like here's a couple water sensors. We're starting that right now, that so the answer is no. Uh, and if you think about it, and again, the answer is probably no, and, and it's, <laughs> it's most likely no. So yeah. it's silly of me to say no, Somebody's because we don't have all the like lost it. dollars quite yeah. yet. But the truth of the matter is, one, the the you know you can't walk down the street without bumping into a water detection company or, yeah. or something else. So, but if you think about uh, everybody, when they think about claims here, it tends to go to the big cats and the big events. The biggest cause of loss we have is water, just yeah. so just using that example. Right. And now you not only have water detection devices, but if there's a leak, you have the automatic shutoff uh, information. Right. So there is an expense to that, and there's a question as to how much we can provide the kits versus it becomes a shared cost. So we're in the early days, and the Roost uh, program is going to offer the kits yeah. to folks. But think about the, the, the loss avoidance of just the, the, the loss costs on water alone and 
the math to me, and again, it's again silly that I said yes yeah. immediately because yeah. I don't have this data. I like the but I, but I believe the data will bear out that some amount of cost on devices can be absorbed by the company. Maybe has to be shared by the customer, but with the discounts they would get on their policies, hopefully that would work well, itself out. Right. I mean, even if, like, let's say just let's say a hundred dollars is a you know smart hub water detection right. and valve. And yeah. I mean, if it's at, at the time of sale, hey, you know, if you choose to do this, um, you can get it for twenty five dollars, mm -hmm. and your premium is going to go from X to X. Like, mm -hmm. I would imagine that'd be a pretty that, easy sale yeah. to make. And, and again, we're starting this almost as we speak. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're starting to, so we're in the early days, but uh, to the answer from our friend from Canada is, he's really spot on, because smart homes is just the beginning. I mean, yeah. I think smart commercial properties is gonna be even a bigger winner. Yeah. Uh, and we're testing in Dallas, Texas right now. We got endorsed by the Texas Restaurant Association for the same type nice. of things, water detection systems. We put them on our, in our, rest, in our cafeteria here. Uh, and to test it first, and so we're offering discounts in commercial restaurants as well. Purely selfish question. Yeah. I've, I've asked this to people that probably have no business a asking it to, but I think you you actually have the best shot of giving me a good answer. So, <laughs> how much? Well, how much does how much is real time data, much like a you know kind of like a snapshot situation, improve that commercial risk? Like when the building is basically yeah. you can like not even so much of water sensors, but like just like. Yeah. Hey, is there a bucket of mop walking yeah. around here? Somebody's going to fall. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but I'm saying, no, like, I, how much I, would that improve your ability to? I think it's going to. I think it's going to forever change the business. Yeah. And so, uh, my answer is a lot. Uh, it's interesting the examples you gave. We we're dealing with a company right now that has the ability to. Sh they, they do mostly in real estate right now. If you've looked for properties, you know you can do the video of the homes and things like yeah. that. And they're trying to build an inventory of commercial. Uh, properties as well where you can as an underwriter instead of just hearing about the building you can see the inside of the building there's all kinds of really right. cool video now on roofs and things like that but um, the sensor-based stuff uh, a company that we're close to working something out with uh, has uh, small devices they clip onto the waist or the belt of a worker okay. and it measures you know the how they're bending down, how they're lifting things up, if yep. they're up on the ladder, if they're lifting inappropriately. And you think from a worker's <laughs> compensation top, yeah. standpoint, and the data comes back yep. as you suggest immediately. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I think, I think getting that real-time data, uh, it, first of all, it's gonna create an opportunity. What Roost is trying to do is get a consortium of, we're, we're one that's, that's committed already, they need to get a few more companies. Because what has to happen is, uh, as you accumulate real-time information about how the smart home is really being managed, yeah. then you can start putting that data together and, and trying to score it like you would see in right. telematics today, uh, so that you can tell the difference between really good drivers and bad. And, and so I think, I think we're still in the early days, as, as I say, but it's closer than a lot of people think. And most of the stuff in your home is interconnected already, to, quite frankly, it's just got to get kind of brought together so it's yeah. exciting I'm I'm pretty excited about it I mean yeah. I know people freak out about it but whatever we can just hang out together Mike. And <laughs> um, okay I think we touched on this one a little bit my buddy Woody Brown down in Georgia what we kind of well, he's we've already asked these but he said what innovative tech are you building to separate yourself from other carriers hint better rates won't cut it I just kind of wanted to say that yeah hint, better rates won't cut it um, but we did touch on a little bit of that yeah I think we covered that I mean yeah. I think I think sensor-based products is 
is kind of just the beginning of that. So whether it's the 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 uh, the belts and the uh, on uh, workers' compensation yeah. or telematics or smart homes, smart property, and there's a lot more stuff coming. We're we're doing something with. Uh, CCC right now that integrates the telematics data at the moment of crash and sends the information immediately. So it's not just it's not just uh, items that are either loss avoidance or an opportunity to give discounts. Those are big, but it's also better claims handling, better service to the claimant or the policyholder at the moment of truth when they have the claim. And so I think there's all a lot of innovation there that I think will be helpful. So I'm going to, I got one more yeah. from, from Twitter, and then, I got, and then I got a couple more as I just heard your Google Calendar go off, so <laughs> we're 10 minutes out. Um, for agencies you are not currently partnered with, what do you want to see them doing differently for there to be potential opportunity to work together? And this is where I think we're going to disagree at some point. So. <laughs> well, uh, I think that, you know, one, they have to want to, you know, most agents have, you know, plenty of carriers and they have plenty of opportunity. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about State Auto for, some agents that don't have us is that we do offer them and that's a cool thing about our platform is again we're not saying we're smarter than the other guy or we're better than the other guy we're just different and yeah. so i think we give agents a different way of 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 selling and, and attracting customers so for agents that aren't with us today that would want to be with us i think i think part of it would have to be their own belief in this way of doing business uh, and and their own commitment to this way of doing business and and that I think that is by far the most important hurdle for us to get over there's there's always the core things like you know they have to be financially stable and you know all those core things but in term assuming all that exists I think it's their commitment to digital a belief in the way we do business both for us and for them yeah so where we're gonna so I'm gonna I'm gonna use the, that I'm dying question. to know where we're gonna disagree well, so here we go let's go here we go so we gotta leave suspense, you know, you got people yeah. watching. Um, so I was a predominantly health insurance focused agent. agent You're right, so. I disagree with that 100%. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, but my mercenary approach to selling health insurance companies is something I think the PNC world lacks. I feel like the whole like, hey, we need to be appointed, like, oh, let's, you know, firstborn child to get, you know, an appointment with us, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Is that something that feasibly can go away? Like, cause what, I mean like that, that you, it feels like that was a reason that has outlived its existence in my you opinion. You mean the, uh, the go ahead. Yeah, like, comp, like you need to bring us X amount of premium. Oh to, yeah, yeah, that's all silliness. Yeah, uh, I mean it's just not, but that it's still kind of the standard to most agents getting access, like market yeah, access, right? Yeah, I think all that stuff is silliness. Uh, you know, the, you know, we oh, got, right, I, I've heard, I've heard, good. I've heard really dumb things that still exist. Like we got to be number one or two in your office. Right. And, that's just nuts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's traditional crap that doesn't have any value. I, I think that what matters is, you know, the the really it's on the agent side. You know, they have to understand really what their needs are, their customers are, their current level of carriers meeting those needs. Uh, many agents have too many companies in their, on their shelf, to tell you the truth, I don't think. And it's not about because they can't feed them all or whatever the right. companies push back on, but just from an efficiency and effectiveness. And you've got to try, find yeah. that balance between protecting yourself, because we as companies have traditionally done really dumb things, like we're in the market, we want these risks, and yeah. you know, another two months later, oh, we're out of that. And right. so you know, companies have kind of screwed over agents by going back and forth on that kind of stuff too much over the years. but. So an agent does have to have some type of mix that he or she can be really comfortable with. But having those type of uh, qualifiers to say, 
you know, I need X number of policies. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to appoint an agent that, you know, I don't want to go to the expense of not just appointment, but having an agent on the books for whatever the licensing is or whatever, and I'm not going to get any business. That's what I mean by being committed to the space, but I don't need, you know, so, so you, volume commitment. So where's, I guess, let me ask this question. Where's that medium? Because on the health insurance and the life side is even worse. Like, they don't even want you to be appointed until you bring them a piece of business. Yeah. Like, so where's, in your opinion, there's old PNC, there's life all the way over here, health maybe sitting somewhere. I mean, where yeah. should we ultimately be as far as everyone being able to have access to yeah, I think that I think we probably have to be closer to the side that says, you know, the light bulb and, and kind of where we're going. The, the problem is a lot of agents, they'll push back harder on us about our appointment strategy than we will. Like we'll, we'll, we'll be pretty comfortable with it. But, you know, agents don't want, you know, and, and look, we're not going to be on every street corner because it doesn't do us any good. But it's also we're also not protecting, you know, like a certain circumference for the agent, but there's a balance between what the agent wants as well in terms of, you know, their own competition in their in their geographic area that they live and work in. So, I think I think we're better off in the world that we're going towards, which is going to be more, you know, here we are, we're open for business. If we fit with you and we can make it work effectively for both of us, that'll be a good outcome. Uh, but we also have to balance that between kind of common sense, expense, fairness to the agent partners that have been with you for a long period of time. So I don't think it's quite as simple as, you know, just kind of taking down all the walls and saying everything's going to be different. So my last question, we didn't disagree, which is disappointing. Um, I read, you, read, you said this in an interview, I can't remember exactly where, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty recent. Um, talking about the longevity of the agent and why we're going to stick around. Yeah. But what happens when coverages aren't more confusing than they need to be? When they aren't more confusing? Oh my gosh, uh, well, a couple things. First of all, it's it's interesting, so I'm gonna answer a little bit longer. I hope you don't mind. You can cut it all that you don't want. We, we got five minutes in your schedule, Mike. Yeah. I'm here all day. <laughs> so. I, I'll, I'll give you an extra couple if we need it. Um, but, but what's interesting to me about the agency equation is that uh, there's been more change in the agency side of, of uh, the ledger than in the last, you know, probably 25 to 30 years than we've seen in all the time prior to that, right? There's a ton of consolidation. You know, uh, these uh, umbrella-type, network-type agencies, whatever you want to call them, and there's, there's as many flavors as there are groups. So I, I see agents that, that tend to be more consolidating into different organizations, which I think is very efficient, very effective, and obviously doesn't work for everybody, but where it works. So I, I believe that agents are recognizing that they have to adjust and they have to become more efficient as a group. As we get better at, um, uh, you know, coverages and we get simpler at coverages, some people are, you know, are, you know, uh, are, are suggesting that, you know, the days of the agents will continue to diminish. I don't agree with that because I think at the end of the day, you're still talking about protecting someone's automobile, you're talking about protecting their home, their financial wherewithal, their, their small business or their big business, whatever it is. And I think there's a level of professional advice that will always be critical. It, we can explain the coverages much more simply. We can provide that information more effectively. We've been awful. I mean, you see the deck sets, nobody actually reads those things. We can provide all that in a more efficient, effective way. 
but there still is that value of advice that people will desire from a professional advisor, and that's where the agent will, uh, will play a significant role. You look like you want to disagree with me. Uh, so well, let me, so let me hit you with this scenario. I don't know how far off this reality is, but this is where I think, this is where I'm always kind of hedging my bets on, on the future of the industry. Back to the sensor data and all that stuff, right? So I don't know, what, 10 years, maybe 15 years, I would imagine a, a car would have the ability to, again, back to that real time, assessing the risk. Um, privacy, I think, is the biggest thing that's going to get in the way of this. Fair. Uh, and but, regulation. Yeah, all, yeah, all those things. Um, but like, you know, there's realistically, the information would be available in real time for that car to properly be underwritten, whatever, and for them to have a, a financial understanding of that person's need, and it could all just be happening mm -hmm. without anybody interfering mm -hmm. with anything, right? Yeah. Um, taking it even like on my health and background, like at some point, people will constantly have their vitals monitored sort of thing, knowing like when the heart attack's coming sort of thing. That's right. So right. I'm just saying, so it's like, at some point, right, I would imagine that that real-time diagnostic would, I just, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find that advice that we would be able yeah, to provide. Yeah, no, I, 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 look, you bring up a very fair argument, and I think there's, there should be real awareness of that fact yeah. and real concern about it, because certainly at some, an agent at your age has to be aware of that, and I think of agents who are thinking about perpetuation and, and their kids would want to certainly be aware of that. But I think what's going to happen when we do that is I think coverages as they exist today will change. Yeah. I mean, we sell package policies, we sell you know, liability and physical damage, and, and I think you're going to see you know, maybe potentially a liability package that just follows you as an individual, whatever it is you do, uh, as an example. Yeah. And so I, I think that while all of that will be true, that there'll, there'll be a lot of real-time information as you walk around and, yeah. and as you either get in your car in the back seat or the front seat if you're still driving. Yeah. But it just feels to me, and again, I, I think you're probably long, long-term correct. I think there's some reality, some possibility there. But I think what's going to happen is that the products themselves are going to evolve and adjust. And I still believe there's going to be some, um, uh, some level of importance in terms of, you know, somebody kind of helping them through that and explaining that. And, yeah. um, you know, even you know, and and maybe even more so because maybe you know someone has to understand that, you know, this this vehicle that is you know smart a smart vehicle that knows where it is and knows what you're doing. Here's why we're charging you what we're charging. Here's why yeah. you're you're exposed in these situations. Here's why if you do this, you're gonna you know you're gonna have to spend more money. I, I I'm a little more optimistic about that uh, because it seems to me that. Um, you know, financial protection uh, around uh, autos and homes and commercial properties uh, are going to evolve, but I think there's going to be some interpretation challenges that are going to come into play. We'll see. Fair enough. I won't be in the industry in 15 years. So <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm leaving well, it to you to take care okay. of Okay, well, fair enough. It's you got you. it, Mike. I got it. I, I believe you too. Well, I appreciate you for taking the time to sit down. It was, uh, I enjoyed it. Was a lot it. of fun. Always a chance to talk. It's good. Yeah. Fellow Clevelander, you know. Yeah, that's right. So go Cavs. Yes. Good. All right, man. You good? Good. You didn't ask about lemonade. Uh, well, you know, I mean, just <laughs> we don't want to muddy the waters too much, you know. Just. That would have been fun. <laughs>